All right, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. So for the last four weeks, today will be the fifth and final week. We've been in a series entitled Warfare Handbook, Warfare Handbook. And what we've been looking at is going beyond the uh, larger principles of spiritual warfare that we would know as believers. And if you're new today, what do you mean by spiritual warfare? Like we're, we're fighting devils? Well, the Bible says that we live in two dimensions. We live in what we can see, but then there's a whole spiritual dimension beyond that. And that's where demons and angels, and there's all kind of stuff happening around you right now that you may or may not be aware of. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have situations that happen in our life and it can be assigned to one of two things. It can be assigned to an attack of the adversary that we are under attack spiritually, or it could be uh, that you did something dumb and your current situation is a result of something dumb that you did. Come on, somebody. So let's get real honest about that because you won't get anywhere just assigning everything as an attack of the devil. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, and they were just, you know, telling that they're, they're binding up the devil, they're casting out the devil because their computer, it, it, it's not working, and, you know, they know this is the devil trying to stop them. Their computer is, like, back at Windows 8 and can't, doesn't have the capacity to update, and I wanted to, to you know, I just, it wasn't my place, you know, sometimes you just let people be people, but I wanted to say, well, I don't know if it's as much an assignment of the adversary as it is you have broken technology, Come on. So it may not be that your finances are under attack. It may be that you are overspending and don't know how to budget. And you don't get anywhere if you keep turning around and say, well, the devil made me do it or the devil did this. That's not going to help anything. But having a real honest conversation and saying, Lord, is this a result of me? Is this, you know, the physical pain in my body? Is it a result of me not taking care of the temple that you've given me? If so, let's make those adjustments. Right? Like, I can scream at the devil in the face about the high blood pressure and blood sugar and all that stuff, but if I'm still eating the cake, come on. So we got, we got to be real honest about that. So what we've been looking at is when it comes to spiritual warfare and, and waging a war in the spirit is beyond some of the big things. Like, we know we pray, we know we worship, we know we read the Bible, but there are some other weapons in our tool belt that I think are just as important. We talked about staying in the now of God and not being stuck in nostalgia because you can miss, like the Israelites, what God wants to do in your life simply because you keep looking backwards. Come on. We understand that we choose joy. Joy is a weapon. And when the adversary does come in, what do we say to his attacks? Ha ha. Come on, somebody. Why? Because we choose joy. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. So I choose joy in my heart and in my life, regardless of circumstance. Why? Because joy isn't always a feeling. But if I choose joy and I begin to live in joy and I begin to think on joyous things, suddenly my feelings or my emotions will eventually line up. I'm not moved by feelings. I'm moved by my decisions. Amen. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Then we looked at love. I think love is the most powerful weapon that we do have. I think sometimes God works on our behalf even when we did mess up simply because we choose to love and forgive other people. All right. <clears throat> Move there, move beyond there. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I would consider uh, another great weapon in our tool belt, and that is rest. Everybody say rest. 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 I want to open up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to help us learn how rest is actually a weapon of 
warfare. Don't go falling asleep on me now because I know you're not doing no warfare. But here's what it says. Therefore, since a promise remains, everybody say a promise remains, of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. I want to point out real quick that word fear actually just means to be conscious or diligent or aware of it. So there's a promise that remains concerning entering his rest. All right. There's a promise that is attached to entering his rest. And he says, let's be careful that we're not conscious and diligent and aware of entering into his rest. Verse 2, for indeed the gospel which is the unmerited favor, the good news, was preached to us all, well, as to them. But listen, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. So I want you to get this picture. He's saying there's a promise that comes of rest, And he wants us to be careful to make sure we enter into it. Verse 2 goes a little bit further into detail. And he says, the word was sent out and presented to two groups of people. Everybody heard the word. Come on. Everybody heard the word. But only a percentage of everyone heard that heard the word did it profit them anything. Why? Because there were those who did not mix their hearing with faith. So what he's saying is we can hear the word. We can be in church day in, day out, read it, play it. But if we're not mixing what we're hearing with faith, then it profits us nothing. I think it's interesting that he says it was not mixed with faith, but in verse 1, he, see, he says the promise is for those who remain in his rest. So I believe what he's talking about here when he says uh, about being mixed with faith is entering into a place of rest concerning the promises of God. Entering a place of rest concerning, concerning the promises of God. I believe today that the greatest and highest form of faith that a man can walk in is to rest. Sometimes we can see people who are shouting the scripture and screaming it and it's tattooed and it's posted and all those are good things for different seasons and different circumstances. But sometimes the person with the greatest level of faith and operation, you wouldn't have any idea anything's going on in their world at all. Well, why? Because the greatest form of faith is to simply rest in the already completed works that Christ did on the cross. See, because I don't need to panic if I know it's done. I'm not worried if I know God's already got it. I don't have to call 20 people and, like, get all the intercessors. And listen, there's a place for that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, you know, with everything that's going on in my world, let everybody know. Everybody pray. Everybody come on. I, you know, there, because there's a place where you just come to in faith where you say, you know what, either God's got it or he doesn't. And I've never known God to lie. And if he does lie, then he's not true within himself. And therefore, he has to get up off the throne, give the throne over to the devil, because God can't be God if God is a liar. So either the promises of God are true for me and in my life, or they're not. 
And whenever I make that decision in my mind, in my heart to say, no, I will grab the promises of God and I will fix them, establish them in my life. And I will simply rest to see the fulfillment of them as I walk it out. Now, I want you to understand that rest is not quitting your job and doing nothing. Rest does not mean you, uh, you know, become idle and passive and you don't deal with anything and you ignore everything. Rest is relying upon what has already been done and completed. So while I'm working, I'm resting. I'm resting in the fact that what Christ did on the cross was enough. It is enough. And I don't have to do anything to get it to come to pass. And therefore, that inspires me to rest. Continuing in that same verse of scripture down in verse 3. For we who have believed. Everybody say believed. Believe. Believing is faith. Those who have believed do not enter that rest as he had said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, this is, again, affirming those people who would have heard the word but did not enter into that place of rest concerning the word of God and concerning his promises. He says, for them, they will not enter my rest. I said in week one, you know, sometimes Christians, we can be so intense and everything's heavy, and everything's spiritual, and everything's a burden, and everything's a fight, and everything is just like, and I understand the reasons why. We're not in our home. We're, we're, we're ambassadors in an unknown world. Our home is heaven. And so while we're here, Satan buffets us, and we live in a world whose culture is the total opposite of the culture of heaven where we belong. So I understand there's all of that that's happening. But I don't think that God wants us to live stressed out, worried, broken, frantic, running from one problem to another problem to another problem, and just keeping your head afloat. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, you know, I have often preached this, but, you know, from the moment that he was in the temple and he read from the book Isaiah 61 saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me speaking of himself it was a prophecy from Isaiah from uh, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus read that the spirit of the Lord is upon me the Bible says he closed the book and went and sat down which there was only one seat in the temple and it was reserved for the Messiah so Jesus making the declaration to those in the temple that I'm the Messiah, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. Your Bible says that they got so angry at him that they took him off to the brow of the hill and tried to throw him off to kill him. And the Bible simply says, you know, there wasn't a great warfare, the angels didn't rush in, you know, the disciples didn't have to do battle, Jesus didn't, you know, have to, you know, persuade them, he didn't have to call on God. It simply says he just passed through the midst of them. And that's always fascinated me that you can have a throng of people around you with one intent, and that's to kill and destroy you, and none of them see you just walk out in peace. Why? Because living in rest will cause you to go even from one crisis. It's like it didn't touch me. It's like I understood the assignment, but it didn't work. 
It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. It's like I got the assignment. It's just when I'm walking fixed and rested on the promises of God, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you can throw me in, but I'm not going to bow. The Lord can and will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I still will not bow. What does that say? That's saying that there are some people called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were rested in the promises of God. Greater than me. Come on, if they're ready to throw me in, I'm going to have a real hard conversation with God. I'm going to be, you know, pacing the floor. But there was just that essence of rest. Throw me in. Don't throw me in. Either way, God's got me. He'll deliver me. And so, as the believers, we're not called to run from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis, and our lives are always falling apart, and our lives are a mess. Come on. We look at the Israelites coming through the, the wilderness that way, but that was never the promise of God. The promise was that they would go into a land flowing with milk and honey where they didn't need anything anymore. So the fulfillment of faith isn't getting out of one crisis into another crisis into another crisis. The fulfillment of faith is actually living out the full promise of God in your life. So if we believe in what God said is truth, then we rest. And when warfare comes against us, we don't panic. We don't throw up our hands. We don't quit. We certainly don't back down. We say, aha. Aha. And I'll just keep busy doing whatever he's told me to do. Because either it will or it won't. You know, Christians are funny sometimes. So try to pastor them because it's amazing. I'm teasing. But somebody said to me a few weeks ago, they said, speaking of another person, it was kind of way out of left field, they said, aren't you worried that person's going to try to steal your church? And I just said, they can have it. I mean, I'm not going to fight. And you might be like, what do you mean? Listen, if they can take it, then go ahead. I'll just get a job with good health insurance. I mean, <laughs> what's the... What's the alternative bad outcome here? I mean, you know, that I can finally just tell people what I'm thinking all day long? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but I, I said it, I did say that, but I meant it in a way of, listen, either God's got me or he doesn't. And if man can take it, then it was never from God. Are you with me? So even in your world, well, what if they get the promotion? What if they get the job? Then it was never assigned to you. God will never take anything out of your life that you needed for, to fulfill your destiny. If it has left your life, it means he looked at it and said it was great for a season. It was there for a reason, but it's not there for your destiny. So therefore, if it leaves your life, all right, God. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing whatever it is you told me to do, keep pressing in, keep moving forward, and just loving life and living life and being free and not being bogged down with this essence where I got to fight and I got to hold on to it. Listen, either God's got the battle and it's his or it's not his and it's yours. 
We talked about that a few weeks ago where he said, listen, I'll fight your battles for you, but you have to give them to me. But if we are holding on to it, then God says, then I won't get involved. You do what you can do with all of your might. And I would much rather have God in my battle. Even look at Jesus when he was taken to the cross and, you know, being paraded in the front of the crowds of people and he was mocked and he was scorned. I mean, you can't tell me there wasn't a part of him who's like, let me just call down the legions of angels. Let me just blink and watch the heavens open up and the ground shake and all of you fall just to prove that I'm not who you say I am, but I am the Messiah. Like, isn't that justification to want to prove to everybody? But in the midst of it, what did Jesus do? Stayed silent, mocking him, making fun of him. He just rested, doing what God told him to do, going to the cross, suffering shame. He didn't fight, he didn't resist, he simply did what the Father had asked him to do. There's a rest. There should be a rest to the people of God. There should be a lightness to the people of God. It's not that hard. And we're not that strong enough to really make anything happen on our own strength anyway. There's actually a story in the Bible where it talks about an unjust judge. And it says that the woman pleaded with the unjust judge to defend her. And it says that she kept pleading and pleading and pleading until she finally changed his mind and he would avenge her. And when you look at that, you think, well, it's talking about Jesus and if I keep going, I keep pleading and pleading and pleading and pleading with Jesus, he'll eventually change his mind. But if you look at the beginning part of that verse, it says the unjust judge. Now, is God an unjust judge? So it's actually a study in contrast saying that if the unjust judge needed to have somebody come and plead and plead and plead and plead and plead and plead for him to finally change his mind, study that in contrast, the just judge does not need that. And actually it ends by saying, will not the Lord uh, venge his elect faithfully? So what is he saying? He's saying, because he's just, when I come to God and say, Lord, I got a, I got a problem. I got a financial problem in my life. I'm going to look at my finances. If I overspend, if I did, I'm going to repent. But now, Father, I need you to get me out of this situation. I'm going to make my plea to him, and I'm going to leave it right there and, re and rest. I don't need to spend the next 20 hours keep going back to God. Well, it's still there. I still don't see a check. I still don't see a solution. I still have pain in my body. They haven't come back to faith yet. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, please, 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 please. Come on, somebody. There's a difference in praising God out of desperation and celebration. I don't praise God out of desperation. I praise him out of celebration. Why? Because to beg God implies that I am more compassionate than he is. That my compassion is greater than God's, therefore I have to beg God to have compassion. So I don't operate that way. I come to God and I say, here's the problem. Here's the circumstance. I've checked my heart. I've checked my life. If I've done anything to open a door, then I'm going to close that door. But God, I'm going to make this request to you. And then after that, I'm done with it. That's why the Bible says, cast your care. It means let it 
cast it. Let it go. Get it in your hand and cast it. Not pick it up, not rehearse it. Come on, I know this is hard because in the waiting, we wonder, did God hear? Is he doing anything? But this is spiritual warfare. I'm I'm a rest. I'm a rest. I already prayed about that. Hey, do you need me to pray about that? I don't need you can come in agreement with me. Why? Because one can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand. Agree with me all day long, but we I've already prayed about that, and that situation's done. Now you come in alignment and agree with me. I'll take it. And if you're talking to somebody like that, all you have to do is say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come in agreement with their faith. And we see it done in the name of Jesus. And then that's it. Come on, this isn't hard, is it? The way we react to a situation determines if it will be a problem for us or not. The way we react to a situation determines if it will be a problem for us or not. There may be problems, but they're not my problems. A friend of mine used to say, that's... uh, it's not my circus, so it's not my monkeys or something like that. You heard that saying. And it's so true. Well, that's, that's, if it's beyond my control, then that's God's. He's got to, he, he can deal with that. So just because a problem knocks on your door doesn't mean you have to receive it as a problem. Doesn't mean it has to become a burden to you. You get a bad health report from a doctor. Can I do this? And I would challenge anyone to do this. Father, are there areas in my life where I have been disobedient in regarding taking care of my temple? If there are, reveal them to me. I will repent and I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll eat right. I'll live better. I'll do whatever it is you've called me to do. And outside of that, I'll do what the doctor tells me to do because God gave us medicine And outside of that, I just got to leave it up to the Lord. That there's nothing I can do to, to physically change it, therefore, it's in his hands. Amen? So I don't praise God out of desperation. I praise him out of celebration. Even when I shout in my worship, it's not out of trying to get God to do something. It's a shout because I know victory is coming. Come on, somebody. We see that the Lord, even after he created the heavens and the earth in the six days, it says on the seventh day, the Lord created the Sabbath and he hallowed it and he made it holy and it was a day of rest. I want you to understand God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. Difference. I didn't rest because I'm tired. I rest because it's finished. A lawyer will rest his case when he's done. I've pled the case. I've put the facts out there. Now it's up to the judge or the jury. I've rested my case. It is simply done. Now, a lot of believers will take 
the Sabbath, the, the, the seventh day, and we will get legal, legalistic with it, and we'll say, okay, well, you know, that, that means that therefore on Sunday, I'm not going to work, and I'm not going to do anything, and, you know, we say that, but then we go to restaurants and still ask them to serve us and work, but that's all hogwash anyway, because the Bible actually says that, and let me read it to you, Colossians 2, 16, verse 17, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So all of the, the law and the rule of the Old Testament, the Sabbath, was all a foreshadowing of what Jesus would fulfill when he came. So though in the Jewish law, the seventh day was the Sabbath, the day of rest. Great. And I encourage you, take a great nap today. I will. I always say Sundays are anointed for afternoon naps. But I don't do it out of legalism and law. Because it was a foreshadowing to say there's coming a Messiah. And when he comes, he will be your Sabbath. He will actually become the place of rest, the high tower where the righteous can run into, that he will fulfill all of the law and he'll pay a price on the cross so that when you come to him, you can simply rest in the fact that he's already completed the battle, that it's already won. So he says, listen, Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. If you're worried, if you're stressed out, if you're anxious, if you're overwhelmed, Jesus is your rest. What I have learned is there are two different types of people in, the, in this world. There are Marys and there are Marthas. Do you know that story? Two sisters, Jesus comes. One sits at the feet of Jesus, basking in all that he would say. And the other's busy getting everything ready, and she comes to Jesus and says, aren't you even going to say anything to my sister here? I'm doing all this work. And Jesus says, listen, you don't have me forever. And I have learned I'm a detail person. I'm a worker person. So I have a hard time just going through life floating. And I know people who are like me watch the floaters who just go through life like, it'll be what it is, I don't know. You know, like, hey, what are you going to do when you get there? I don't know. When are you leaving? Well, well, you know, we'll just see whenever we get up. Like, either, you know, for those of us who are like planners, it's like nails on a chalkboard. What do you mean? Where's the agenda? What's happening? You know, at, <laughs> come on, somebody. But I have learned there are two types of people in this life. And God has gifted some of us in the details. But sometimes we just got to say, I've done what I can do. And the rest is up to him. And if I'm overly worried about the details and overly stressed out about the details and I can't fix the problem and I can't solve the problem, it means I simply need more of Jesus. I simply need to cast it to him and just say it's yours. Hebrews 4, verse 5 and 6. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they do it from whom it was first preached, not or entered not in because of unbelief. 
So again, they did not enter the rest because they had unbelief. Your anxious, your anxiety level in a certain area of your life is a clear mirror to your level of trust in that area. Some of us have no problem trusting God with our family. No problem trusting God with our body and our health. But God, just don't talk about my money. You may not verbally say that. But when you're stressed and anxious about money, it's a mirror that says then you're not trusting God completely in this area. For every person, it's different. One person can be like, yeah, I don't know, God just makes the money, it just happens, he's great at that, but when it comes to my health, I just, I don't know that God still heals, and I'm anxious, and I'm worried. It just says, well, then I need a revelation, more of a revelation of who Jesus is in that area of my life, that he's my great physician. So that's why I have to encourage you, make it personal. Where are you anxious right now? Where are you struggling right now? Where are you battling in your mind right now of what ifs and could that happen? And if, if this situation doesn't, it's just a mirror that says we need to trust God more in that area of life. And when we are trusting God, it means we're rested. So we don't follow the Sabbath in the way of the Jewish tradition, which I actually thought this was amazing, that the law of Moses was actually just extended to the Jewish peoples, not the Gentile. You understand, we are the Gentiles, unless you are a full-blooded Jew here this morning, you are a Gentile. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. That the covenant that God established with Moses was only for the Jew. Never was it created to extend to the Gentile. The Gentile came to faith under grace through what Jesus completed on the cross. So listen to Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, speaking of the law of Moses, but you are under grace. So listen, it's very interesting that we would refer ourselves as a Christian, but not understand that we were born out of the new covenant. But for so many, we, we, it's, we fall into this thinking that we have to fulfill law. But there were no Christians under the law. Do you understand that? Christianity wasn't born until after the law was fulfilled with Christ on the cross. And he said, it's done away. Some of you are looking at me like I'm half crazy. Now listen, he says all of the Old Testament is great for edification, it has power in it, but I'm not under legalism to fulfill the law of Moses. Why? Jesus established a new law. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as unto yourself. And in love we fulfill all of the law. I bring that up to say that law and religion try to tell us that we have to do something in order to get God to do something for us. 
that God's acceptance of us is based on our performance or on our works or how we're living. And there is truth, like I said, some things aren't a result of God's judgment, aren't a result of the enemy's attacks. They're simply a result of what we chose to do in our life, and then we're reaping the consequences. I heard a preacher say this week, and she uh, was talking about a divorce that she had gone through, and she had said, you know, she struggled for a long time of why did God let that happen and didn't heal the marriage until one day God said to her, you never asked me to begin with if that was the right one. And she actually said spiritual, her, her pastor, her spiritual authority said, right flat out, that ain't the one. But she wanted who she wanted, right? Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to all of us. We want what we want. And we do it, and then we just ask God to bless it after it's done. And can God turn any situation around? Absolutely. But the road of pain that sometimes happens until we get there can be dramatic. So we rest. We rest in the finished work of Calvary. And team, you can come. So what do we do? What does resting look like? Does it mean we do nothing? No. It means we ready ourselves for the, for the fulfillment of the promise. We ready ourselves for the fulfillment of the promise. If I came to you today and said, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars tomorrow at 12. And you had confidence in me that I had resource to do that. Don't have that much confidence in me because I don't. But if you did and you knew I would do it, what would you be at home doing? Planning, thinking, like we've all done. Like this morning I stopped at Turkey Hill and the guy in front of me was getting a whole thing of lottery tickets. And I'm like, man, if you just saved that, you'd probably have a better turnaround. Because I mean, it, I'm not, it was like a lot of lottery tickets. And, uh, you know, but we've all been there where we think, what would I do if I won the $12 billion? Like, what would I do? How many of you have had those thoughts? And we plan and we plot. And that's what we do while we're waiting on the promises of God. Why? Because the promises of God isn't a lottery. It's not maybe. If it's in the book, it's for you. If it's in the book, it is for you. He wants you healed. He wants you prosperous. He wants you blessed. He said, I've called you to be above and not beneath. I've called you to be the head and not the tail. I've called you not to lack anything. I've called you to excel in relationships in your life. I've called you to have blessing around you. I've called you your family to be, in, 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 to be saved and be in the knowledge of who God is. That's what I've called for you. So while we're waiting, we get to working for the fulfillment. I've preached this to you before, but I, I think it bears repeating today. But when I was a kid, I absolutely loved those power wheel trucks. And my mom was, was going to meet with somebody. She was supposed to get a settlement. And she said, now I want you to get ready. I want you to write down what it is that you want that I'm going to buy. And of course, there was no question in my mind of exactly what I wanted. I wanted that bright fire engine red power wheels truck because at the time I didn't have one, but my neighbors had one. 
that they had parked too close to the fire pit and it had melted half of it. So it didn't work anymore, but that didn't stop me. They gave it to me and I pushed that puppy around like there was no tomorrow. But I remember when my mom did that and said, write it down, you know, when she comes home, man, I was getting ready. Come on, somebody. I, I remember going outside to where we parked the car and moving some stuff around because I thought, well, right here is where I'm going to park it. And it's going to be right here. But that's what we do in the waiting. Lord, my marriage needs healed and restored. I'm going to check my heart. Are there things that I need to do? Do I need to forgive? Do I need to ask for forgiveness? Do I need to watch my tone or how I talk or how I treat other people? If so, then God, help me. And then I'm going to start making preparation. And sometimes the preparation isn't tangible. Sometimes it's the way you start thinking. You know what? I'm not going to picture what happens if we get divorced. I'm not going to picture that. I'm not going to picture what happens if the healing doesn't come. I'm going to start picturing what it's going to look like when it does come. Why? Because I'm rested. I'm rested. Let's stand to our feet. So this morning, it just as a reminder, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. Weapons of rest. Weapons of joy. Weapons of love. Come on, somebody. We've got an arsenal to wage warfare. So as the worship team sings this morning, I really felt in my spirit that we were to do this today. I'm going to ask if there's anybody in the room that you need physical healing in your body, whether it be something large or something small, it doesn't really matter. If you need physical healing in your body, in a minute I'm going to ask you just to come forward. I'm going to ask some of our elders and prayer team to come up. And the Bible says that if we lay hands on the sick and pray the prayer of faith, they shall recover. Can you just say that with me? They shall recover. Shall means will. You will recover. So I just felt impressed in my spirit this morning that God wants to just bring healing. And so we're going to pray for you, but then I want to challenge you as you leave this room today, the enemy's going to say, well, it didn't work. It's still there. You don't got to do another thing about it. It's done. It's done. Healing is manifest. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to come forward. So, Father, I thank you today that, Lord, we know you're in this house with us today. We know you are a miracle worker. We know you are a righteous and holy God. Father, I just believe today that there is sickness and affliction that has touched many in this congregation. And Lord, we understand that by your stripes, we were healed 2,000 years ago. It's not a question of if you want to heal us, because if you didn't want to heal us, then you shouldn't have healed us. Because you already did it. So today, Father, we will fulfill your word and we will lay hands on the sick. And we believe by faith that they will recover in the name of Jesus.